My guest this week on An Hour With Flower campaigned in the Finn up to 2015 and then went into coaching, coaching the Finns. He's coached all three laser rigs and most recently has coached the Kite Olympic programme. And he's also a diehard Detroit Red Wings fan, which not doing so well this year. But I'm, of course, talking about James Haddon. James, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, enjoying enjoying a bit of time at home through lockdown. But um, yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Briefly sort of said about your your history. You, you know, you, you campaigned the Finn for you know several years and then went into coaching. How, what was sort of the motivation behind that? Um, I started I started coaching in the last kind of year or so when I was still when I was actually still campaigning and, and a part of it was just just to make a bit of money and on the side really you know it's, it's expensive campaigning so yeah I did a bit of club coaching to just just pay the bills or just you know just help with buying food or whatever that month um, and I actually really enjoyed it because it was something completely different from sailing and you can kind of really you can spend the whole weekend trying to you know helping someone get better. It's such a nice feeling when you kind of come away from that. You can see that progression even over a weekend, and um, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed that. So, as soon as I finished you know, finished sailing, I uh, I kind of went, well, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna give coaching a go. I, I enjoy doing that. It's um, you know it's, it might give me a couple of years of doing something something fun to um, to delay getting a proper job. And um, here we are, what five years later. So. Uh, yeah, still enjoying it. Which is a huge part, I think, is just to keep enjoying it. And also said that you're a Detroit Red Wings fan, which, if people don't know, it's an ice hockey team in the NHL. And I'm, of course, a Pittsburgh Penguin fan, which also your your wife is a, also a fan of. Yeah, yeah, she's a Penguins fan purely because there's a penguin on the front of the jersey. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, the Red Wings was kind of back in the day when, when they were... He had the sort of dynasty of, of uh, you know, really you know, an unbelievable team. You know, some ridiculous names in that in those teams back, you know, kind of fifteen, twenty years ago. And and um, yeah, I've, I've just been a fan from actually playing the video games. And you know, that was the first team that popped up. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll play with these guys. And then you sort of start supporting them, start following them. And then since then, they haven't done quite so well. We had the you know, what was the Stanley Cup in two thousand and eight. And then since then, it's just been. The, not even a steady decline. It's just been a falling off a cliff almost. But um, yeah, we're in the rebuild. We've been in the rebuild for about five years now. So yeah, maybe in about ten years' time, we'll have another another Stanley Cup to celebrate. So yeah, that's a huge part of American sports in general. Is when you have that success, is maintaining it, and if you can't maintain it, is trying to rebuild the team as quick as possible. And when I was growing up, you know, the, the Red Wings were you know the force, and having you know. Lost the Penguins lost in the Stanley Cup to the Red Wings one year and then beat them the following year. It was sort of like you know those were the two big teams at the time, and it's unfortunate that they have dropped away as they've got a huge legacy being one of the original six franchises in the sport. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it, it's really interesting to see how how those teams go through kind of waves of being really successful and then and then they have to rebuild and we don't really see it so much in football. I think it's more of an expectation that the big clubs sort of stay near the top of the table and they generally do. Um, but you don't really see this sort of way, you know, it's generally accepted in America that they go through these waves and they're rebuilding and they're not going to be competitive this year and everyone just accepts that. And it's, um, it is really interesting. It's a completely different way of looking at, looking at sports and 
different teams. So, yeah, very different, uh, very different sailing, that's for sure. I think the biggest element between the Premier League and sort of the American sports is because there's no relegation in those American sports, you can keep the same teams and you can have ways to make manipulate the top teams being punished and the weaker teams being you know improved by the weaker teams having the ability to select the young kids coming out of college coming out of high school the um the best ones first overall and then the the best team in the you know the league has to pick last in that draft system so, and the salary cap also keeps it which is Good fun, but we won't be talking about too much about hockey. And I, I don't really want to get too in depth because you are currently beating me this week in our head-to-head matchup. So we'll we'll move on to sailing before <laughs> there's too much questions about that. But what last week I did with Charlie Bailey Strong is try try sorry, try to envision making this perfect sailor. So you spent a lot of time sailing with a lot of the Finn guys and coaching some of the laser guys and spending time with some of the coaches as well. So I'm go- I've am i got 10 people written down and just try and think the first thing that comes to the top of your head of each sailor of what they did that was so unique and special to make them so successful. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So we'll start off with four-time Olympic gold medalist Ben Ainsley. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of came into the Finn and it was it was sort of Ben was you know it was just after Beijing and Ben was kind of flying high and I sort of really started I was sort of going to maybe the first Palmer I did that was Ben's yeah that was in 2012 and that was when Ben was kind of in his last year in the Finn so we were at completely opposite ends of the fleet and I think I I had a few you know I was out kind of training one day or just sailing around probably actually and I just uh, happened to end up you know in a in a tuning run with them and I remember. I missed the rabbit and I was oh, yeah, in, in the lineup and I was miles away from, from that boat and, and he just turned around and gave me this look and he's like, you, you've got to be better than that. And I think that and that just is still, I mean, I'm still getting goosebumps now and remembering that because it's obviously it's like Ben Easy was so, you know, such a good sailor, such a good role model. Um, and just how he, he strives for, for perfection in, in every single, every single tuning run, every single exercise, everything he was doing on the water, he was looking for that perfect perfect tuning run and doing it as well as he could and getting it right so and, and everyone else around him as well you know the, the the other lads that were training with him so you know Giles and, and um, Millsy uh, and, you know, and um, Andrew Mills and, and Mark Andrews you know those guys that were training with him they you know they were also at that really high level of doing everything right because that's what Ben was expecting of them and I think I think that just always stuck with me really A lot of what you're saying is by sounds of it a lot what people say about Tom Brady for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and that just strive for perfection just making sure that everything you do is the best of your the best you can make it yeah and it's such a cliche isn't it you know oh you've got to make everything's perfection all this these things but the the people that are the best you know that's what they do and I think that's yeah, that's that's why they're the best because they don't they don't accept you know again another cliche they don't accept you know, second best they don't accept kind of just you know just making ends meet or you know just kind of just making the sort of you know, making up the numbers all those things they want to be the best so they make everything you know as good as it could possibly be and um, yeah it's it's when you see it in, you know, in action it, 
makes sense. So that's that's what's required if you want to be the best. Okay, and the next sail I've got written down is also an Olympic champion, also sailing on the America's Cup with Ben Ainsley, and that's Giles Scott. Yeah, I mean, I've spent a little bit more time with Giles. Um, I mean, he's, he's an unbelievable sailor. You know, I mean, pretty much all the sailors I think we're going to talk about are really unbelievable sailors. But I think one thing that, that really stands out with Giles, I probably only realised but as I was kind of coming to the end of sailing the fin, I wouldn't even say near him, just chasing him around, was was um, he, he sees the way he sees the race course and he kind of sees it those you know, three, four, five steps ahead is... You know, it's almost like he's playing chess. You know, he, he he can see. Okay, if this happens, then I need to see this, 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 and this. And when I kind of really saw that he could do that, I was, you know, I was in my boat. And I'm thinking, I'm struggling to think about what I'm going to do next, let alone three, four moves time. And I think seeing that and how he how he sees the race was like a computer. You know, it, it's it's unbelievable. You know, there's so many things to say about you know. About all, a lot of these people, you know, obviously his work ethic, all those things. But yeah, that's something that really stood out for me with with Giles was just his decision making was so clear. Um, and I, I, yeah, I suppose that's why he's an America's Cup tactician, and I'm not. But um, yeah, there we go. So he's kind of playing chess where everyone else is playing checkers in a way. On the, <laughs> it, it seems to be anyway. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, that's that's how it always comes across whenever I've heard him talk about decision making for sure. And third sale I've got written down is a guy who has probably spent more years campaigning the Finn than he has not been campaigning the Finn and that's Ed Wright yeah Ed, Ed's uh, uh, yeah it's, it's, if you want a role model for somebody that is, is just so committed to, to sailing and, and is so committed to you know he's super fit um, you know he's probably still, he's still probably uh, he's probably still one of the fittest guys in the in the sailing world anyway but um, yeah, he's super committed, and and he's done you know so many campaigns and has you know, had setbacks along the way, and he's he's not given up. He's you know he's, he's rebuilt. He's found a way to find you know find the sponsorship or, or find a way to do it, and then he's gone and competed again. And you know he's had a you know some world European championships wins, and you know is is an unbelievable sailor. Um, but you know obviously when you when you compete as Ben and Giles, who are who are you know incredible sailors as well? You know somebody has to come second, and, and unfortunately for Ed, it was him. But I, I no doubt he would have been a gold medal, a gold medalist if he, you know, if he if they hadn't been there. Um, but yeah, unbelievably committed, you know, really talented sailor, um, and actually a really good person to travel with because he you know, just sees the world in a very different way. Like you said, he's been very unlucky not to have gone to any games. As if he was for any other country, he probably would have gone to multiple games. Yeah, and, and arguably, yeah, would have would have medaled as well, or you know, probably would have got won a gold medal. I think if he'd have gone for any other country, or you know, um, if and it, yeah, it's not like he's missed out by you know by miles here. He's missed out by you know a couple of points here and there, or you know an event here and there. It's it's nothing really. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, unbelievably committed though. That's it's it's just something that yeah, always stands out for me is, is how much he just enjoys the journey. Um, uh, and, and how committed he is to that. Moving on to some laser sailors now. Our yeah. Olympic representative this year, Elliot Hansen. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've watched Elliot train from, from well, just alongside in the fin, but um, you know, I've, I've kind of sat and, sat and watched him race at events and stuff like that. Um, he, One thing I've always I've really admired was, 
even when I've been running Finn training sessions in, in the harbour at Weymouth, or in Portland Harbour, sorry, uh, he'd, he'd you know, just appear in his laser and he'd be there kind of, oh, can I just join him with a starting? And he'd be he'd 10, 12, 15 starts. He's the only laser, you know, all the rest of Finn's, but he's, he's still fighting, competing, and he's working on those little details just to get better. And, and he, he knew exactly what he wants to work on no fuss he just you know rocked up yeah no problem join in and I've, I've got some brilliant videos of him just you know just starting with the fins and making i mean i'll be honest making them look very ordinary uh, but yeah he's he's just just that kind of work ethic does the the real intensity on getting better and, and obviously he's you know he's pretty much the best in the world at starting so yeah um that's 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 what makes up for that uh elliot yeah for sure so there's no excuses to people who say oh there's no other lasers to start against when you know one of the best in the world is starting against boats that are technically faster than a laser yeah exactly and you know and it was it wasn't that you know he didn't look at it and go well there's no laser on the water i'm not going to go sailing it was oh there's a few boats there they're close enough i'll go i'll go and start with them um so yeah it's, it's showing it, it can be done and you can always find a way um for sure another laser sailor great laser sailor mickey beckett Mickey Beckett, yeah. Um, Mickey did an uh, uh, amazing talk for us the other day, and, and one of the things that really, really stood out for me with with Mickey is he really understands how how everything works. You know, he understands how the boat works. He understands how the sail works. He um, he understands what 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 the end goal looks like. So that whether that's uh, I want to improve my tax, or whether that's I want to go to the Olympic Games. He understands what that end goal is and what he wants that to look like, and then what the journey to that point looks like. So, if, you know, with the Olympics, it's he knows what that pathway looks like. But with just improving his his tax or his downwind technique or whatever, he he understands what he needs to do um, to improve on it. And I think that that just came through so clearly. Um, when Mickey was talking to us, um, and you can see that in his results, you know he's just steadily improved all the way through the system. Um, but yeah, really talented sailor for sure. And third sort of laser sailor of this generation is Lorenzo. Lorenzo, yeah, everyone's favourite. Um, yeah, Lorenzo. I mean, again, all, all these sailors have loads and loads of qualities. Um, but for for me, yeah, Lorenzo, yeah, his downwind speed. Um, you know, he he was kind of never afraid. I don't think to try and do things differently, even when people were telling him, "Oh, that's not how we do it. That's not how you do it." And then he kept on, kept on, kept on going. And and actually, you know, now he's you know he's kind of well known for being one of the fastest guys in the world downwind in the in the laser. So yeah, if I could pick a skill off Lorenzo, it'd be his, his downwind speed. I mean, he he showed us all up in in the fin when he jumped in for one downwind. So. Yeah, I'd definitely take that. Um, definitely take that downwind speed for sure. It's uh, definitely what I think. If we started off having races where you start with the downwind, Lorenzo would be getting down there first most more times than not. Yeah, he would. He's um, he's so fast downwind. Yeah, got a couple of people who have you know also do coaching now, and first one is James Gray. Yeah, um, James Gray. I mean, he's coached laser for a, a long time. You know, really good sailor um, back in the day. He still is. You know, still competes on the circuit. You know, uh, and he'll tell anyone that listens about his was it Plymouth qualifier um, race win or whatever. But um, yeah, the thing that um, James does, I think, even as a coach, I really, really admire is he, he makes the important things a priority. You know, he understands the key principles. 
and makes those really important things the priority. You know, these are the important things. This is what's going to make the biggest difference. So this is what we're going to go and work on. Doesn't waste time, you know, worrying about the little details because ultimately, if you've not done the work on the big important things, the little details aren't going to make any difference. So he's, you know, that he kind of uses the time up really well, um, you know, prioritizing what's really important. And, and I've always admired that about James. The other thing I'll also like just pinpoint onto that is, you know, having spent you know some time in the youth squad under him. The biggest thing I learned was nothing on the nothing on the water but it's actually the off the water so he, he taught me a load on the water but it's off the water how professional he was in just the focus in making sure that you do those things right yeah absolutely and and it's that commitment to to doing to doing what is right rather than just doing the kind of oh well it's easier if I didn't do a gym session this afternoon but you know if it was with Dre there he's you know, he, he he's basically going to do it you know he's yeah, he's so committed in, into doing that. And, he'll, yeah, and he'll, work, he'll just ask so you, why, why aren't you? And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it is. It's, it is a, why, why wouldn't you do that? Why aren't you doing that gym session? Oh, well, my legs hurt. Well, your legs are going to hurt at the top of a beat when you've been hiking for 15 minutes. So, you know, why, why not go to the gym? Why wouldn't you do it? So, yeah, you, I, I don't, I've not met anyone that's come up with a good answer to that question yet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you get some, yeah, really good results as well in the laser with all all the guys that have come through his system. You know, Elliot, Lorenzo, Mickey, for you know, to name just a few. They've yeah, you know, they've all come through through Jay's Jay's squads, and yeah, he he really does get the best out of them. I think. Another coach, Tim Holtz. Yes, everyone. I think everyone knows knows Tim Holtz. Uh, yeah, really, really good coach. Um, one of the things I, I spend a lot of time with Tim, and I spend a lot of time on the phone to Tim is. And, and and obviously coaching with him, but he, I think, he, he really gets everyone to understand that it's important to enjoy the process of, of getting better, and how important that is. Because if you enjoy, if you only ever enjoy winning, and all you want to do is, let's say, go to the Olympic Games, well, very few people actually get to go to the Olympic Games. So if you're pinning all your your hope and enjoyment on on that going to the Olympic Games, then you're probably going to be disappointed, or it's quite likely you'll be disappointed. Whereas if you enjoy the process of getting better and the process of going sailing, just having a really good time, doing a bit of training, doing a bit of racing, just enjoying it, you're going to enjoy everything about it. You're going to enjoy the days that are a bit rainy, a bit cold, but you're going to enjoy you know, traveling to those events. And I think that's something that, that Tim really really showed me the importance of and it's something I probably wish I'd learned a bit earlier as a, as a sailor but it's just just enjoying that that process of getting better um because you, you just enjoy the whole the whole thing then you enjoy all of sailing so I think that's that's really important um in our in our perfect sailor if you like for sure and moving on as well about Tim Holtz as well you, you two both have remote control lasers that you have some fun with as well yeah, I mean, I would say we're both getting old, but I'm I'm still in my twenties, and I think Tim's nearly fifty now. So he's um, yeah, he's getting on a bit. But you know, the the RC lasers is is um, it's actually it's good fun. It's something you can kind of put in the put in your you, know, you can basically take to a you know an event when you when you're coaching because in the evenings you've got um, you've got you know an hour or two where you can just play in the play in the moorings or play in the marina or something, and it's just a bit of bit of fun really. Um, we we happen to have got all the all the 
kind of laser open open uh, you can open training coaches on that now mm-hmm. so everyone's everyone's racing around so on a open training in the summer in the evening that's um that's where you'll find us is all racing around having a few arguments and um but it's just it's just fun really you know it's something you can do together and yeah it's, uh, it's a good laugh I, I might have to try and uh, find one up for sale and <laughs> join you guys because it does look does look good fun when you're all out there yeah definitely i've got one for sale if you want one so. <laughs> i have to talk to you afterwards about that um last two couple sailors you've actually coached most recently in the Finn. first one yeah. being callum dixon yeah, Callum, Callum's, uh, he's, he's actually now um, a British rowing, so he's he's a, f- a physical weapon, I think is the only way to describe him. And that's something that, you know, when he came into the into the Finn, at, I think he was 16 and he was, I can't remember what he, what, what, he, he was so tall and just, you know, he wasn't, wasn't particularly fit or anything like that. And we kind of sat down and said, you know, where, where do you want to get to? I want to, you know, I want to be successful. I want to... Yeah, I want you know, I want to make the most of this, and it was like okay, well, yeah, the biggest the biggest thing we need to work on, we need to get that fitness level up. And when I normally say that, when we have that conversation with this with a sailor, yeah, you, they get to a, a decent fitness level. Callum went to the other extreme of just being almost, almost arguably too fit. You know, he, you know, he the rowing scores he was putting out. You know, the last year I, I coached him in the thin, he was he was second at the indoor rowing championships. Um, you know, setting a ridiculous time. So, yeah, for that for Callum, just just how hard he can push himself. Um, for any anyone that I've I've coached, you know, we, we when we do a rabbit run or something, we, we might hike until you you know your legs hurt and everyone sits mm-hmm. up. Whereas as Callum hikes until he, his legs literally give up and he falls in the water. Um, and I've I've just never really seen that in a sailor before. You know, somebody that just hikes and hikes and hikes until they they just they just can't and they fall out. Um, it's quite funny to watch, but yeah, that's just a, a really good trait that, that Callum has. I think that he's gone into a sport which as well is ideal for that, where it's just about pushing your body as hard as you can in the rowing. And I think, you know, keep keep your name, keep your eye out for that name because I think Callum could go, you know, could go far in, in rowing. And the last, okay. last sailor, is, uh, he trained alongside Callum for a long time, is James Skolzak. Yeah, James. Again, yeah, kind of. We had that conversation, and really, uh, where do you want to get to? What do you want to do? And again, it was I want to be successful. And so we we really looked at you know everything and something that James James does really well. You know, him and Callum on the water, you know, they they are you know, almost did too much. You know, they they spent probably the most time with the Weymouth Dolphin uh, of everybody I've met. Um, I think yeah, they were they were doing crazy hours on the water um but with with james in particular he was he's so good at the recovery side of it and the, and the athlete behaviors thing which i think so we, we kind of underestimate a little bit but he he just he just you know looks at his nutrition what could be better okay i can improve this i can improve that and i think that's just such a such a good a good way of approaching it and you know, and that yeah like I say his athlete behaviors were just are just so on point and that's something that i definitely bring into my kind of my perfect sailor is just you know, really good athlete behavior is always trying to make yourself better um yeah just fully committed to the to the course i think like you said with that when i've been on the phone talking with james is he spends you know a lot of time every day in the recovering phase and you know he's always saying to me i should do more and i think that's 
a reason why I've been injured so much in my life is because I've bypassed it in a way. And so recently I've gone, okay, I need to spend more time in that recovering stage to prolong my, you know, journey as such. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and he does exactly the right thing. Um, when he's, you know, when he's recovering, you know, he's, he, he gives him, you know, gives his body the rest it needs and make sure he fuels it properly and stretches and, and you know, uses foam roller and, and does all those things, gets a lot of sleep. And, you know, it's just all those little things which people really underestimate. I mean, the sleep thing's a massive one, particularly for, you know, junior youth sailors. You know, if, you, if you're not getting enough sleep when you're, when you're sailing and stuff, you're not going to learn as much. You're not going to, you're not going to enjoy it as much. You're not going to recover. And it, it, it's just such a simple thing just to go to bed and turn your phone off at, nine o'clock and, and go to bed at nine thirty, or you know just give yourself that extra bit of time extra bit of sleep um but yeah james just does that that so well um and the biggest yeah, thing really that impressive. i noticed with those two callum and james is when they were at weymouth you know campaigning together was their work ethic yes was you know absolutely on point but it was also the fact that they viewed each other as ways of helping each other both progress as much as they could rather than a lot of the time when you have two people they they want to just beat the other person and don't want to help out that person as much but in a way you don't get as high up the fleet as if you both work together yeah and and they they um they supported each other really well with that. Yeah, Callum was always really quick in the in the in the big breeze. James is probably a bit a bit quicker in the light wind. So, you know, James's view or the both of them, their view was well, if I if I if I bring my strength, that's you know, my weakness is his strength. So if I if I help him get better in you know his weakness, then he'll help me get better in my weakness, and then you both get better. And it's it's something that is. Yeah, you, you. It's really hard as a coach to get that across, um, and it's really hard to get people to really buy into that because you know, if, if only one person can go to the Olympics, well, everyone's thinking, well, it, it, I want it to be me, and and actually, what happens is you make yourself slower because you don't help anyone else out, and it, it sort of, yeah, you end up kind of stunting your own your own development. So yeah, they had a, a really nice. You know, a nice relationship and a really, really good attitude to it, and yeah, and yeah, I think I think they hit something like seventy hours on the water in in January alone in in one year in twenty eighteen, I think it was. This is January I mean, in Weymouth as well. Yeah, and it, it's like you know, we, 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 sailors go right into you know halfway around the world to get those sorts of hours on the water, and they were doing it in Weymouth in pretty pretty brutal conditions and, and they just went and did it and I thought I, yeah that was it's just such a such a nice thing to see as a coach you know when you you kind of had these conversations and kind of said what you know you kind of help them see what they need to go and do and they've you know, you've had those discussions and they actually go and do it it's um yeah it's a really nice nice feeling I remember one day I was out training with them in a laser and it was it, 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 it was snow on the hills and I was like okay I'll probably only go out for an hour. And they were like, well, why not go out? You know, what's stopping us going out for three hours like normal? I was like, well, yeah. it's, it's so cold. And, um, you know, they were out then. They had that attitude of, we've got it planned. We're going to execute it. Moving on to your own sailing now. How did you actually start in sailing? What, what do you start with? Was it in an oppie or...? 
Yeah, I started uh, it was a little, little ways, a little gravel pit in um, near, near Derby in the Midlands um, called uh, Swartz and Saving Club, and it was a really nice, really friendly club. It did a bit of racing, but they were, you know, it was, it was more of a kind of mix. It wasn't like a full racing club like they have racing on a, on a Wednesday and a Sunday, but there was just a really nice family atmosphere to it. Um, so yeah, I sailed, sailed oppies, raced a lot in the Midlands as I was growing up. Um, you know, started doing the Oppie national squads and stuff when I was 10, 9, 10, 11 years old. And then moved into the 4.7 when I got too big at, at 13, 14 years old. Um, I actually moved into the 4.7 and the radial about at the same time because I went and did the youth nationals in 2005 in the radial. And it was, I mean, it was about the windiest week I've ever experienced up in Largs. It was freezing cold. And I, I, just, I, I mean, I was. I think I was last overall. I can't remember where I finished. I didn't didn't do very well, but I just remember having an absolute blast. You know, just being in a new fleet and, and racing against, um, you know, some really, you know, some big, really big names. Actually, you know, I think Ali Young was in that fleet at the time and stuff. And obviously, she was the other end of the fleet. But it was still quite cool to kind of line up on a start line with these people and knowing they're on the water and stuff. So, yeah, um, went into the four point seven national squad in two thousand five. And then as I kind of got older, I sailed quite a few different boats. I still sailed the laser and did the nationals and a few qualifiers. Sailed the 29er for a little bit. That wasn't very much fun. We didn't do very well in that. Um, but yeah, I just did, yeah, did quite a lot of different different sailing in different boats. Um, probably didn't do enough laser, laser sailing, actually. Uh, and then in 2008, when I got a bit heavy for the laser... I, I moved into the fin and, and kind of suddenly had this loads of direction again about where I wanted to go and I, you know, I was really fixed and I want to go to the Olympics and yeah it's, it just started from there really you know just trying to get better trying to get on the water as much as I could and, and it was just a, a complete change but it was it was actually having that direction I don't think it was the boat that was the you know that I really enjoyed sailing it was just having that direction and I kind of yeah, looking back, if I think if I'd had that more in the laser, it would have been a, maybe a bit different. But yeah, um, so then yeah, sailed the fin um, through to 2015. So I started off training alongside the British sailing team um, lads and trying to hold on to them. And then slowly, slowly kind of got into British sailing. And then, um, yeah, I was in the British sailing team for a few years and then, and then stopped at the end of 2015. Um, I, I kind of got to the point where I was just... Um, I, I, I'm not really tall enough for the fin. I, I was heavy enough, but because uh, I wasn't tall enough, I, I just couldn't generate the you know, the firepower that, that Giles and, and those boys can. And I, I just got to the point where I, I wasn't really enjoying it anymore. Um, you know, again, I'd been so fixed and I wanted to go to the Olympics, I wanted to be successful, and, and then wasn't really enjoying the day-to-day. And I think at that point, it all came together, and I thought, you know what? Um, yeah, I think now's time to stop. So... Um, yeah, and then I went into coaching, and, and then there we are. You mentioned about Giles Scott, and what's it like? Because a lot of people, you know, won't ever have the opportunity to be able to train alongside an Olympic champion. What's it like training alongside Giles Scott? Uh, he's he's really fast. I'll give, uh, just to give you a give you a clue. Um, Giles is one of those people that you you don't he, he does a lot of training of course he, you know, he's really fit you know he does a lot of racing and all of that sort of stuff but you don't really see the actual hours that he puts in um you don't realize the amount of time he's putting in because he is so relaxed about 
about everything you know when you from the from the sailor point of view as you're kind of training with him and stuff you just don't see that um you know the actual hours he puts in and, the, and all the effort he puts in and so it's really easy to get almost lulled into a false sense of security that you can look at him going oh he's I, you know, he doesn't really do anything like he's gone out on the bike obviously he's super fast on the bike or he's you know he's rolled us all in a in a tuning run he, you know he's so chill about it and, and it's really it's really unnerving when you then see him on you know the first day of the world and he's he's you know he's racing mindset you know racing kind of racing brain on and he's so different you know and and yeah that was um that was a real i i know and i only really had that right at the end of the time i was i was um yeah, training with Giles and stuff, and you know, just trying to hang on to his coattails. But yeah, that that's uh, that's the, the big thing. He's just he he does he does train really hard, but you just don't you don't really see it. He doesn't he doesn't show off. He doesn't need to tell you how much he's doing. He just goes and does it. And I think that's the difference between him and a lot of other people. Like you said, I think if you can do your talking on the water and you know just roll everybody and you know don't have to brag about it. You know, you can just get those results and he does yeah yeah and, and and that's it you know he's he just he just does the work you know he's not you know he's not worrying about his social media or anything like that he, he just does the work and the sailing does the talking for him um which i think i think makes him yeah makes him just such a yeah a great sailor really moving back to your story and you said about you sort of went into coaching after you sort of realised you weren't going to the Olympics. Was that a decision that you made quite quickly or was it over the course of a year or so? Um, well, like I say, I started coaching just before I stopped in that last year, just a way of kind of making a bit of money. But I think I I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I finished sailing. And when I got into... Yeah, sort of. I would, with the last event they did in the film was the Worlds in New Zealand. So we had a, a bit of a holiday in New Zealand, and I got back, and it was kind of that. I think I arrived, and it was snowing at home, and and I, I sent a few emails out just to try and do a little bit of coaching, just to just to do something. You know, I didn't really have anything anything planned, and so I went and did a four point seven national squad with Martin Bowman, and. It was, you know, it was like four or five inches of snow at Rutland and it was freezing cold, but I just had a really good weekend and just kind of, yeah, I just thought, you know what, actually, I really enjoyed this and I'm going to, yeah, let's just see what else I can get. And then started doing a little bit. I went up to Scotland and did some of the, um, the kind of late, uh, the youth laser stuff in Scotland, coaching up there. It's really fun. You feel like a rock star when you, you fly in on it. You, know, you fly in from fly from Southampton or from, from Gatwick or something like that up to Edinburgh, go, you know, go and coach at Dalgetty Bay or go over to Larks for the weekend, coach, fly back, and you, you get on the plane, you feel like, yeah, say a rock star. And then, um, yeah, and they start doing more and more with the with the 4.7s. Um, and at, at the same time, I was, I was really kind of conscious that, I, you know, there was a, there was a, a kind of a bit of a void in the, in the thin that, Way, at least in the Finn class, where I was thinking, well, actually, there's, there's a lot of juniors in the class. There's not really any coaching for them, and so I think at that point, it was you know, working with the with the British Finn Association was you know was actually just creating a, a bit of a program for them, and then you know that was a really good way um, of kind of developing my coaching. And I think those lads remember, you know, we we tried a loads of different things, you know, from a, from a coaching point of view 
tried loads of different things, different ways of doing things, trying different things. And obviously they learned loads when they were doing it. Um, but for me as a coach, it was really nice kind of always try, you know, trying stuff out, proving grounds, um, what works, what doesn't. Um, and at the same time, doing lots of club coaching. And then really everything's just sort of developed from that. I just, just started doing more and more. Um, and yeah, it's just, just rolled on from there. Kind of just with that, learning each other sort of thing so you're learning what techniques work for the coaching and they're sort of still gaining that you know strength in their own sailing abilities and I think with that BFA squad that was set up I think it was really good because like you said there was a huge void in the fin where there was a lot of people that were you know too big really to sail a laser and it's a, such a shame the fin has been dropped from the Olympics because if you're over sort of six three, it becomes very difficult to sail a laser. And I think the the sort of youth under twenty three squad that was set up for that fin class was really beneficial for those guys. Yeah, and it, and it sh- I think it what it really did as well was it it showed that you know you don't have to be in in a in a youth squad or a you know, something like that. So I think people put a lot, of, a lot of sailors put a lot of hope into, oh, I'm going to get into this youth squad. And if they don't make it, they, they just sort of stop. And, and you go, well, hang on a minute, you know, there's loads of class training, there's loads of other stuff you, you can go and do. And actually just keeping people sailing through that time of, you know, when a lot of those lads had, you know, I'd, I'd like say outgrown the laser and, and they were kind of going, well, what do I do next? And it was just something for them to, to kind of really dig their teeth in and, and, it, yeah, it's a really nice group, really nice group of lads to work with. Um, and, and yeah, it was just just a really good experience as a coach to kind of go on a bit of a journey um, with, with those, those sailors and see where they, you know, see where they started off at their very first you know, Finn Junior Worlds and see where they kind of ended up at their last Junior Worlds. And I think that was really nice. It's a really nice feeling as a coach. And it's definitely one of the reasons you do it is, is to go on that journey with, the, with an athlete um, or with a group of athletes. And um, yeah, so I'm yeah, some really good, really good, uh, good memories of, of coaching those boys. Going back to the top of the podcast where we were sort of building this perfect sailor, what element would you say of your sailing aspect, or maybe your coaching aspect that you'd say you would personally say about yourself is special or unique? Uh, you're embarrassing me. Um, <laughs> I I think. I think I am. I feel I'm quite good at reflecting, um, and that's not my hair colour. I mean, that's just generally the, you know, my when I've when I coach for a weekend, for example, if I'm in Weymouth for the weekend coaching, I I you know, have a, an hour and a half drive home. I spend that time thinking about the weekend and, and what what could I have done better, what went well, what didn't go so well, and I think that's something that I I kind of learn. It, when I was a sailor, that actually you need to do yourself. You know, even if you don't do it on a particularly detailed level, but all the time just going, okay, how can I make that better? Oh, actually, you know, I, I could have done this differently. I could have done that differently, um, or I actually did this really well. And I think that that for me is is something that I really I really value um, within my own coaching um, is that kind of reflection process because I think that's where it gives you that sort of mindfulness moment, um, that really clear moment of actually, you know what, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have 
shouldn't have delivered that um, you know that particular topic in that particular way because it it meant the sailors then took this away from it, not what I wanted. And I think it just you know you, you're never going to be the perfect coach, um, but I think it just helps you. Well, it helps me at least really understand. Kind of, okay, I could have done this better. And then the next time you, you try it differently and then you reflect again, and it's just that constant process moving forwards. I think that's a huge element that if you can not shy away from the mistakes you've made, but try and improve on those mistakes in your own time is a huge element because if you can then not make that mistake again, you'll just progress. The, the reason why I brought up you know, that element is, for me, there's two aspects, you know, having, you know, being coached by you for a little bit of time as well. But the first time I got introduced to you was at a youth squad camp by James Gray. And he said that this man is the best boat work sailor I know. So is that also an element that you would say you take pride on? Yeah, I think so. Um, looking back, I mean, reflecting, I suppose, on that, um, I probably spent a bit too much time worrying about making everything perfect. But I think um, when you're when you try and do everything on a budget, and yeah, particularly in the fin, but yeah, the same in the laser as well. When you're trying to run your campaign and, and build on everything on a really kind of tight budget. If you look after the kit really well, you look after your ropes, you look after your sails, your spars, everything, and you, and you check the boat over properly at the end of the day, and then you're proactive. You don't wait to think until things fall off the boat to repair them. You think, okay, well, when was the last time I replaced my, my, my gudgeons or something? Or when was the last time I checked my, you know, the fittings on my mast? Or, and actually just having a bit, of a, a bit of a plan that you do those things at once a month or once a week, you just check your boat over and as soon as you notice it's starting to wear out, replace it. It, it makes everything go that much further, you know? Yeah, um, it's that, nothing worse when you're at an event or even when you're training and something breaks and you've missed either that day's training or even worse at an event, you know, if say it's the first race of the day, you have to sail in, you then can miss, miss the whole day's racing and, you know, wreck your whole event. And I think a lot of people don't want to replace the ropes as frequently because they go, well, I'm having to pay more to replace the rope all the time, but it's a lot cheaper than, you know, wasting an event. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, not many people do this and I wouldn't advise anybody actually does this, but yeah, sometimes, you know, when you're sat in an event and you've been there for a couple of days and there's no wind and you, you haven't managed to get on the water and you start adding up how much each race has cost you. You know, if you've done six races and it's cost you, you know, £1,000 to go, you know, you do the maths on how much each race is worth. And when you actually start doing that, you realise that, you know, you've, you've put all this work and effort in. It's not just what you've spent physically going to the event. It's actually, you know, the six months before that or, or whatever, all that work you've done. If something breaks when you go to, in that first race and you miss a day's racing, you've wasted so much time, effort, and, and actually you know, the cost of, you know, replacing your, you know, your, um, the bang fitting or something, you know, the cost of just doing that four rivets and a, and a bit of metal is nothing against the, you know, the, the time and effort you've wasted you know, by it breaking in that race. So, yeah, that's, that was always a big, a big driver behind that. Um, I remember yeah, in I think... 2019, yeah, where 
Elliot Hansen was down on the um, marina before the medal race and just checking over his boat for that reason, just to you know make sure that every rope was not going to break, every every fitting was not gonna. And there was like a slight bit of wear on the traveller, and he just replaced it. I, I personally yeah. would have kept it on. I wouldn't have even. I'd have checked the start of the week and not checked, you know, come the end. But I think that's the, the difference. Is if you really focus on those little points, it won't break, and then you won't have that DNF on your scorecard. The yeah. other element, yeah, the other element, having you know spent time, you know, being coached by yourself is you have a very sense of element of fun when you come to the training. I remember there was this one time where it was about 40 knots all day scheduled and we got down to, you know, Weymouth Harbour and we're, we're all sat around like, what, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, you know, there's there's looks like it's dropping off at the end of the day. And, and you sort of brought, well, what do you want to do in that time? And we had some time in the classroom and it got to like about two o'clock and there was still you know, daylight and still time, but there's was nothing else really to teach. Her brains were sizzled. And you you said, well, why don't we, you know, chuck American football about, have a little game? I'm like, okay, then. I think that was a great experience for us all. Yeah, that was, that was, um, that was what, I think that was the only game of American football I've, I've played. <laughs> and, and actually, you know, as a quarterback, you know, kind of the, the fake, fake into a into a touchdown run was um was great but yeah it is i think the fun element is something i as a coach i, I learned a lot with with tim Hulse is if you, if you make it if you make it a fun environment and you, you try and keep the fun element in it there are bits about sailing which you know which can be pretty miserable you know it's cold it's it's rained or you've you know you've had a you, you're leading a race and and then it's abandoned or something like that and yeah, there are elements that aren't very fun about it, and I think if you keep, you know, keep the training bit fun, which is t- t- yeah, people tend to find you know, can find it a bit boring, keep that bit fun, then you know, then it makes the whole experience that little bit better. And I think one thing I'm, I re- yeah, we really need to do, and I really want to do, is keep more people, you know, just sailing. You know, even if it's just sailing, you know, when they go to university, they still keep sailing, then they come back to sailing after university. Like, it's so important. And I think if you keep that fun element of it, we don't get people when they, you know, they get to 18, 19 and they're pretty burnt out because all they've done is boring training, classrooms, listening, you know, training hard and, and they don't enjoy it. And um, I think, yeah, I think the fun element is is, is really important. And you also have that bonding with, it's a single-handed class of laser, but you can have that camaraderie with the other sailors and especially in a team environment, I think it just pulls you all together and you get to know other people's personalities a bit more. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, the, uh, without going into too many specific examples, but there's some really nice memories that I have of, of like fin sailing and laser sailing where you, you know, when I was, I was young, I, you know, I got picked up, you know, so I went to a few qualifiers with, you know, one of the, one of the guys I, I kind of grown up sailing with. And you know, he picked me up from school on a Friday afternoon, and we I think we drove to Bethelia or something. We just had a really fun weekend away. You know, it rained, the tent flooded. Uh, you know, we we had a McDonald's on the way there and a McDonald's on the way home, and you know, and it was just good fun. And I just remember those events as, yeah, you know, I, I didn't do particularly well, but you know, it was just fun because you just had a really you know really nice experience, and 
yeah, it's all the weird shared experiences across Europe, which I'm, I'm sure you've got, um, Ben, uh, <laughs> of just those kind of, you know, we're, you're, you're rushing for a ferry and you make it by, by two minutes and it's the excitement level of, if you have the drive getting up there and all this, you know, and it's, it's those things that I think, you know, are, are really good experiences and, and that's kind of part of the journey that you can really enjoy. And, and um, yeah, it, yeah, also I think you make, make friends for life as well when you're sailing, you know, there's, yeah, there's people I, I trained with that you know I still speak to quite a lot. I still see quite a lot, and I think that that's really important. Important to have because we do you probably do miss out on quite a lot when you're you know, especially when you're young and you're not going to parties and you're not going to you know that person's house or, or whatever. And actually, I think we've got to understand that we do miss that as, as sailing. So let's create that in, in sailing. Let's create those friendships and and stuff within our within our little sailing world. I think that's a huge element as well is that if you do stuff outside of that sailing world, you know, you, you can sort of have that downtime as well. And I think that's a huge element. And I think that's where the squads stick together is when they do stuff outside of just that training. And you look at, you know, 20, 30 years ago where, you know, sort of our parents as such were about in sailing and for instance if they were there's a lot more of those sort of generations still sailing compared to nowadays where a lot of people drop out I think because they don't do as much with those other sort of their friends outside of sailing and keep that fun element in in the game sort of thing yeah absolutely and and, you know we we, you know we lose lots of people because oh well my my you know I didn't really I didn't really get on with anyone in the group or I you know, my friend stopped, so I stopped. And I think by creating these big squads, kind of, you know, not everyone's going to get on with everyone. We know that, but just keeping that, yeah, that fun element and uh, yeah, the group environment. And yeah, you know, so I remember the, you know, we, we'd go go to the cinema, or you go bowling or something in a, in a camp, and it was just it's just fun because it's just something different. It's something you together. It's a bit of kind of bonding time, and yeah, it's just just really nice to try and keep that that in. And like you say, you know, try and keep people in the sport. So moving on from that element of fun, you've coached the 4.7 radial and standard. What would you say is the biggest keys to progressing through the rigs? Because you see a lot of the time people drop out. Yeah, um, it's. I think people get really, well, everyone gets really drawn into kind of, oh, they're, they're really different. And they are different. They have their own little nuances. You know, the 4.7 is actually, being the smallest rig, it's actually the hardest to set up. You know, it's so it's such a small sail. It's such a weird shape. You've got the pre mass, all those things. I think people get really drawn into kind of, tr- yeah, they try, and, they try and get kind of, into the detail of it and, and then and then they sort of lose their way with the with the bigger picture things i think you know with the keys to progressing i think you need to be the right size and the right weight you know, for all the rigs that's that's a, a given you know obviously we can't just just choose to be taller or we can't just choose to be you know a little bit heavier or whatever so i, I think the the main the main thing is actually being really functionally fit for the boat, you know. So you know, you're not you're not lifting really heavy weights or anything like that. But it's just you, you know you can do really good body weight exercises. You know, you're really good cardiovascular fitness. So you're running, you're cycling, rowing, um, yeah, all those all those things. So it's just having a really good base fitness level, um, you know, functional fitness. 
Um, linked into that is you know, it's really good, like hiking body position, you know, really good posture, good strong core. Um, you know, night, you've actually spent time hiking and in, in getting yourself in a good position. I think it's those things that actually are just the, you know, they don't change. You, obviously, you get taller, you get bigger, um, but they don't change from 4.7 through radial through to standard. You know, it's a given. You need to be fit, need to be strong. Um, I think a lot of people tend to stop um, because they, they do move too soon. You know, it, they get into the 4.7 and they're, too light for the boat and so they sort of you know they lose their way a little bit they, you know they might end up in the middle of the fleet because they're not quite heavy enough to compete when they get on the on the sea or in, in in big winds and so they sort of lose their way lose their motivation and and then they might oh well i'm i'm 16 now so i'm going to move into the rage or you know i'm, I'm 80 i'm going to move into the standard or and and what happens is they move too early and they're not quite big enough not quite strong enough and instead of giving themselves time to grow and then move, um, they move a bit too early. And I think that's what causes quite a lot of people to drop out. Um, so, yeah, I think I think really just under, yeah, really getting kind of your head around being fit and strong and being the right size and weight for the boat. Obviously, from a sailing point of view, it's just getting time in the boat. You know, a lot of people come into the, into the 4.7 and they've done a lot in the oppie or a lot in the topper. And... Really, the best way to get good in the laser is just to really try and get those hours in. You know, go down your local club, do the low, you know, do your club racing, go to the open training, do that training, um, and and just just enjoy being in the boat, spending lots of time in the boat. The laser is very different to you know the off in the top. It's a lot faster. Everyone seems to capsize a lot when they first get in because everything happens a little bit quicker. Um, so it's just yeah, spending as much time in the boat as you can. Um, but the, but the priorities in terms of, of sailing, you know, sailing skills don't really change. You, know, you, you need to be able to start well in all those rigs. You know, so your starting skills are they're really easy things to work on because you can do it at your local club or you can do it on your own if you've got a mark or something. There's loads of the skills you can practice. Um, like I say, the hiking position and the and the upwind speed and understanding kind of how to set the rig up. You know, what do the sail controls actually do? You can learn that really quickly. You, know, you can read about it in a book. But the best way is just to go sailing, pull the Cunningham on really hard or the downhole on, whatever you want to call it, really hard, just see what that does. What's that? What's changed? Oh, the rudder's suddenly changed. You know, it's now really light. Or you know, this has now happened. I can now bear away or pull the kicker on, pull the outhaul on, and just try using the different, you know, the different controls. The main sheet is a really big one that everyone seems to miss is, actually like it's not just pin it in and, and hold it as tight as i can it's it's actually using it to, to keep the boat going on that really high average speed that we're always looking for so understanding understanding kind of how to set up each of the rigs and they're not that different and if you understand the sail controls actually it's really easy um and then i think the last one is is just you know downwind speed um, the 4.7 is, is so hard to get going quickly downwind. So you've got a really quite heavy boat for the size of the sail. So if you if you can get the skills up, the basic skills up in the in the 4.7 of sailing the boat quickly downwind, suddenly when you get into the radial and definitely when you get into the standard, it becomes really easy because you've suddenly got loads of power for the same weight boat. So when you turn and you want to jump over that wave or you want to you want the boat to accelerate, it suddenly does it. Um, whereas in the 4.7, you have to work to get that acceleration in the radiant standard, it just goes. So 
I think those are the yeah the, the priorities of you know don't really change at all through the through the rigs, but it's just it's just always doing those simple things really really well. Um, I think I think that's the really the really important thing. And I think that's real good insight to what you think. And a few points I want to pick up about. What would you say to say a four point seven sailor that might have just missed out say on a youth squad or they might have not been getting the results they want and they're you know maybe not having as much fun in the boat as they were having what would you say to them to keep them sort of you know get their motivation back on track um just don't play in the boat I think that's that's one of the, that's one of the things you know. I'd always say to people, you know, you don't have to always go out training, training, training. You know, you can go out in your local club and just cruise about. You know, go on a, you know, just just play. Yeah, um, I think that's definitely something that a lot of a lot of people miss. I think missing out on squads it can feel like the biggest the biggest thing ever when it happens to you and and actually in, in the grand scheme of things no one's going to remember it when you you know in a year's time you're probably not even going to remember that and there's so many options you know there's loads of you know the UK are really good at running running training locally and there's more and more training all the time being added obviously not you know not right now because of COVID but you know, in a normal year, and I think going forward is a really good plan for lots of local training. So it's, you know, not worry about that. Okay, I didn't get to the National Squad, that doesn't matter. But instead of giving up, I'm just going to go and get some training at, you know, at my local club, or I'm going to go and join in the open training in, you know, in Weymouth or wherever, you know, near wherever you live. And and just, you know, just go away and, and work on those basic things. You know, youth, youth and junior sailing is, is all about just doing the basics really, really well. The complicated stuff that comes later when you, you know, you've got, you know, you're sailing every day as a full time sailor. But when you, you know, youth and junior level, it's just get the hours in, doing the simple things really well, um, and and yeah, and play in the boat. You know, enjoy enjoy just sailing a boat around. You know, go out when it's really windy and just try and get the fastest speed you can on the reach. Imagine it's a, you know, an America's Cup boat or a, you know, or a moth or something. You know, just 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 play and enjoy it I, I, I think that's something that you know I know I did a lot when I was in the Noppy and the first when it's the lazy just go out when it's really windy or you know really like you know raining really hard or something when it's really kind of weird conditions but you just go and enjoy it and have fun you're not worrying about trying to tackle jive or anything you just just play it and I think that's really important I remember as well how, in your coaching that you would go out in you, you would have us out go out in you know 40 knots and it's been the same in the fins where it's those real survival conditions where you wouldn't normally train in but you would sometimes finish a race in and you would end up sort of just going out there just to boat handle and there's been situations I know where there's just been a couple boats out and say four sailors in the rib and just swapping the sailors in and out just so there's not the mass amount of boats on the water I think that just shows that you know, you in your in your coaching style as well will also try and have that element of fun. You know, yeah, as well yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know, there's a video somewhere of, of uh, actually Callum Dixon. I've got of, of him. Yeah, we went out. And it was really windy in the fins, and we just had two boats on the water, just trying to make it a little bit a little bit safer. With, you know, with the, the ratios. And I've got a video of Callum jiving. Yeah, you know, I think we were doing something like we had to, you know, just going around a little 
windward lured and you just had to jive that was the game you just had to do a jive and I was shouting jive at him just you know just to try and get him to do it in this big gust and he he was looking at me you know he turned around and looked at me as the boom was coming across <laughs> and I remember everyone in the boat going oh my god and he just ducked inside and it was it was such a it's such a, a funny moment because you know, I remember sitting in the debrief after that and everyone was just just creased up laughing at him because he was just such a funny funny image of him just looking as his booms coming across in I don't know 35 knots or something whatever we got out in so um yeah I think it's I think it is important just to go out and experience those conditions yeah and, they are scary and those are the memories you also remember as well no one remembers you know that rabbit run you've done on the 13th of March yeah. 2019, you know, where you rolled such and such. They remember the times where, you know, like that incident with Callum looking back and being petrified as it's just coming across. And I think as well, it's in a sport of sailing, you look at, you know, I remember as a kid in, you know, sports like football and hockey and that, you, you go out with your mates and you just are able to just have fun and you don't have to make it all about the training aspect. Whereas I feel... Sometimes in sailing, especially in the younger categories like the 4.7 and radial, it is very much all about the training and nothing else where why not just go out and have fun? You know, why not just go down to your local park and have a kickabout with your mates? You know, you, you do that. So why not, you know, go to your local club and just reach around for a bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, like I say, it, if you go and experience those conditions and it's just, you know, we're not worrying about training, we're just going out and just experiencing having fun. And, you know, all that week you've got such a buzz because you went out in 35 knots and you've got, you know, you, you managed to jive or even you just you just got around the course and you didn't capsize or something. And it's such a, yeah, it's such a buzz when you have those kind of sessions. And I think that's something that we're really, it's really important not to go down that slippery slope of just serious training all the time it's actually trying to keep that element of let's let's go it's going to be fun you know um yeah it's going to be scary but it's going to be fun and and you'll look back on that and go oh that wasn't so bad um yeah so yeah i absolutely agree we'll get back to some laser sailing in a bit but most recently you've been uh taking on the olympic program for the kite surfing um uh, what what's that like? That's a totally different element to laser or fin sailing. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a, a massive learning curve. I mean, I've, I've um, I can kite surf, but not nowhere near to the level that, that those um, that uh, all those athletes can. And it, really, it was um, it gave me an opportunity to obviously learn a completely new, different skill set. But it was also it was a challenge in my coaching to be able to coach something that I didn't I don't know the answer to. Um, so actually, it's a really, really um, organic way of coaching. And instead of you setting up a drill, you know, leading them to the answer, they get the answer. You know, you've done well because they've, they've learned something. They feel great because they've achieved something. You all go home. Actually, with the kites, it's, it's a completely different challenge, and it's really nice to be able to go. Okay, let's go and let's go and find the answer out. Let's go and discover something. And um, yeah, it has been a big learning curve. Uh, I, you know, bouncing around it. At Thirty knots all the time, trying to keep up with them is is um, takes takes a bit of practice, um, especially when you you've coached lasers the week before and they're going around at you know, four or five knots, and then suddenly you're you're, you're holding on to it, you know, trying to keep up with the kite going going downwind at you know, pushing forty knots. So it's it's um, 
yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty pretty interesting and interesting game, uh, and it, it makes it's definitely a challenge a challenging class to coach. But you know, again, it's it's just fun working with such a committed group of athletes. You know, they're, they're, they're they want to do it, they want to work hard, they they do work hard. You know, it's um yeah, it's just it's just brilliant to be involved with that and, and kind of yeah watch them watch them go. It must also be a challenge in yourself, not you know holding back that urge to get out you know kite surfing yourself yeah well that's the problem is that it's always perfect kite surfing conditions when you're coaching them and then as soon as you can't coach them or you're not coaching them it's it's not as good so um yeah i mean that there's a big element of, of kind of what we call fun kiting so going out you know on twin sips or, or surfboards something like that and you know there, there's a you know there are times when you can go and do that with them and that and, you know that's really fun obviously that you know they're, they're way better than i am and i'm kind of just kite around and crash a lot and they uh they're doing these kind of cool tricks and stuff but still you know it's it's kind of nice to be able to at least go sailing with them or go kiting i suppose with them you know we get on the lazy you know you don't finish finish at the end of the day of training and then go and get in a laser and, and go and play in the afternoon so it's is nice to be able to go and do that um and, and you get to travel some cool places and go you know go kiting in some really cool places so yeah really good fun no it sounds like it's great fun and you know the videos and photos i've seen of them it, you know i'm jealous because we spend the whole time hiking <laughs> they yes. just spend the whole time just looking like they're having fun yeah um the crashes are pretty pretty um, brutal sometimes you know especially the high speed the high speed ones and it's windy you know they they hurt and um you know when you when you sort of get to us they get to one of the athletes and they're, they're kind of winded and they're you know obviously getting dragged about by a kite as well like it's yeah, I, I'm. I, I'm in, always in a bit in awe of, of just the, you know, the sheer bravery to, to do it because it's it's you know scary. You know, it's a, it's a fast fast paced sport, and yeah, um, massive kudos to them for sure. Moving on to another aspect, I brought up at the top of the podcast was I said that you are beating me in our mat, sort of match up this week on fantasy hockey, which uh, you've done very well to keep it quiet. <laughs> Yeah, um, I wanted to in- introduce that right at the start and just talk about that, to be honest. But, um, yeah. but, but for those that don't know, fantasy hockey, it's a, it's a much more, I feel, in-depth game than what you get in a fantasy football Premier League game where you start the, start the season and you're in a league with, we're in a league with eight other people and each person drafts a player and they have to stick with them for basically the whole year. You can make trades and drop them and pick up people in free agency, but you basically stick with that those sort of eight, ten players for the whole season rather than in fantasy football. You can have the same players you make. And moving that back to sailing, because you know, probably not too many people that follow hockey as in depth as us, but how do you think maybe sailing can learn from, you know, something like hockey i think i think it's the it's the it's the accessibility of, of hockey not not in terms of actually being able to play it but just you know, you go on on youtube is a really good example you go on there you find all the game highlights they're really easy to find they're all in one place normally there's common you know the commentators you know the pundits all those people that sit and discuss it all those videos are linked into that and so as a sport, it's much easier to kind of get into it and see it. Whereas with, with sailing, we have some really cool races that go on. You know, the Vendée Globe is just 
and just finishing the, the America's Cup that's on at the moment, the stuff like the Extreme Sailing Series from a few years ago, the um, Sail GP, all those things, they are incredible to watch. And the match racing, that's, even, that's amazing to watch. And what's really difficult with sailing is it's just really hard to find those things. I think what would be really good um, would be to have a, you know, a central place where you can go and, and sort of you know, find that in one in one place and find all those video, videos. Um, you know, all the commentary on, on the sort of, you know, like what's going on in the America's Cup and um, all those things, you know, try and find that in one place. I think that would be really good for the sport. Um, I think the other the other thing that links to it, I think we definitely need a, a top trumps for sailing. I think that would be a really fun fun game to have. So if, if the top trumps people are listening, then that's that's our idea. But um, yeah, I think I think yeah, obviously hockey's has a massive following in in certain parts of the world, where sailing is a you know is a very global sport. And I think you know we really need to capitalise on that more. Um, get more coverage and, and get more get more people sailing ultimately that's what it's all about isn't it you know ice hockey can only really be paid on an ice ring whereas sailing you know there's there's, there's sea and lakes and, and rivers and stuff everywhere and it's, it is really accessible in that respect I think um, as well just yeah. picking up on the fact of you're saying you know you can watch all the highlights and stuff the, the America's Cup that's on right now it's it's very it's not has that same element of publicity, I think, especially in the the sailing community know the America's Cup's on. But people that don't know about the America's Cup, people that are non-sailors, I'd say 95% of the non-sailing population, they've probably never heard of the America's Cup. But it's the pinnacle, really, of the sport. And people know about, you know... I know hockey's more centralised to certain areas in the world, like you say, it's only on an ice rink, but the media coverage is a lot more, and I think if sailing can learn from these bigger sports, it can really get out there to the masses, and when you get to the masses, you can then get more people involved, because you, you watch America's Cup, the boats are phenomenal, like, they look great fun, you look at the kite surfing, they're, they're great fun to watch, like, if more people watched it, there'd be more people motivated to go out, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it is a lot of it is in the media coverage, and you know, that's not to say that the you know the, you know, there are is there is a lot of media coverage within sailing, and I, I think they do a really good job. You know, we have some unbelievable fit, you know, pictures, videos, um, you know, articles, all those things. I think it's just we need to find a way to get into the wider population. Uh, yeah, I remember after the um, twenty thirteen America's Cup in, in San Francisco, and I was I was in the gym back home, and and you know some. You know, a guy that you see, you know, every day just training kind of came up to me and he's like, oh, you know, you're a, you're a sailor, like, oh, do you know Ben Ainsley? And I'm like, well, yeah, sort of, um, you know, trying to trying to not, you know, not, yeah, just, just sort of having a bit of a conversation about it. And, you know, he's like, oh, it's incredible, you know, it's fantastic what he, what he was able to do. And, you know, I think it's, you know, it, it shows how powerful just a bit of coverage on the news or a bit of, you know, a kind of, somebody talking about it and, and suddenly everyone knows about it and you become that you know you kind of get those household names again so yeah i think it's um i hope it happens in sailing i think that's definitely what's needed but i think a lot of it will come from you know just getting more people sailing and more you know showing people how how fun sailing can be because ultimately that is what it's about you know, it's about just enjoying it going out sailing whether you're in a single hand a double hand a yacht or, or whatever you know it's just enjoying going sailing cruising around or racing or, or whatever 
And I think as well, if there was, a, like you've mentioned, if there was a central place where you could view all these stats, I mean, if you want to yes. search for a certain player, you, you go on Wikipedia, you search that player's name and, you know, where they've sailed, where they're, you know, co- you know, where they've started going into coaching and how long they've been at each club. It's all there, you know, for you to read. If there was that element for sailing as well, because I think that's how people would get involved more in it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and uh, Jack Weatherall, just to, just to drop a name, it, he he knows a lot of stats about sailing. Um, you know, he'll tell you people's results for a long time. But yeah, hundred percent agree. With that, yeah, that just it's just the the interest, I suppose. And you know, those those databases obviously you know don't exist for sailing. They probably never will. But it would be you know really cool to have a bit more of a, a sort of who's who in the sailing world and, and stuff. But. Um, yeah, hope, hopefully we can get more people in sailing. And I think, yeah, maybe in, maybe in the future that sort of thing might happen. Just bringing up that element about, you know, you being approached in the gym, knowing Ben Ainsley. I know with, you know, I, I went to school with Ollie Watkins, plays for Aston Villa at the moment. But And if you mention a name like him, even though he's not the best striker in England, loads of people will know about him. But if you mention somebody like Nick Thompson, Elliot Hansen, you know, they're Olympians, but... A lot of the general population haven't. I, I do feel for them because they're competing at the top of their game, and you know they don't have that same recognition. Yeah, it's such a shame that you know you, you, they 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 work incredibly hard. The unbelievable athletes, and you know around you know just before and just after the Olympics, you know that year either side maybe if, you know, at a push, that, you know their names are people know them and people are talking about them but then the rest of the time it's yeah people you know what what they're doing the amount of work and effort they're putting in gets missed and I think that's I agree it's such a shame um, such a shame to yeah to miss that it's been it's been great to chat with you James and uh can't wait for the next time we see each other and I'm, I'm hoping that I can pull out a few more good results this week so I can beat you in the, our fantasy hockey league just two quick questions for you who do you think is going to win the America's Cup? Um, I think the I okay. I think it's difficult. I'm going to, I'm going to back Ineos to win the Ryder Cup. That's I think good. They'll news. go into the America's Cup. That's who I'm backing. Um, you've got to got to back the boys, and then um, I think. But I do think the Kiwis will win the cup. I think they'll retain it personally. I think even though Ineos are down at the moment, I I, I don't think it's all over. It's, no, um, I, I don't. I think there's still quite a lot. Of, uh, there's a lot of fight in that team, so I'm I've got confidence in them. So yeah, I'm, I'm backing them to win the Prada Cup, but I, I think the Kiwis have got something up their sleeve which they've they've not shown yet. So that's yeah. that's my gut feeling. It'll be very interesting to see how it works out. And finally, who do you think is going to win the Stanley Cup? I want to say the Red Wings, but it won't be. I think um, I think the Canadians. I think the Montreal Canadiens will will, uh, will well, win. Um, well, if they do end up winning, then uh, you heard it here first. But thanks so much for giving up your time for this hour of Flower Podcast, and hopefully see you around sometime soon. No problem. Hopefully, uh, see everyone out on the water really soon. <laughs>